Recording in progress. Again, it's First John chapter three, verse nineteen. <coughs> um, let us get into prayer. Father, I just come before you, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus. God, and I just pray that your presence would accompany us this day, would accompany us this morning, O Lord, or this evening, wherever we're at in the world, Lord. I pray, God, by your mighty power that you would come, O Lord, and you would speak to us, Father. I pray that you would grant me grace to be able to speak your word. Father, I pray that you would grant me your anointing and your power, O Lord, to declare your word with truth, with clarity, with conviction. Father, I pray that you would speak to your people this day. I pray that you would speak to the hearers. I pray that not one word would fall to the ground. God, I ask that you would build us up, Lord, by your word and by your spirit, that you would build us up, Lord, and that you would grant us uh, grace to receive your word, Lord. I pray that we would not be hearers only of the word, but that we would be doers. And Father, that by doing your word, that we would be blessed, that we would be careful to observe all the things that you have commanded us, Lord. All the things that you teach us in your word, Father. I pray, God, grant us, Lord, endurance. Grant us perseverance. And Father, I pray that you would remove every obstacle. I pray that you would remove all um, lies and confusion from our lives. Uh, Father, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus, Lord, for you to have your way this day, for you to have your way in our lives, have your way in our minds. God, I pray that unction would accompany me, Lord. Boldness would accompany the proclamation of your word. And Father, that at the end of this meeting, that all would be assured that you have spoken to them, O Lord. That you have spoken O Lord. And so, Father, I thank you in advance. Lord, I thank you for what you're about to do. I thank you for the Holy Ghost that lives within us, Lord, that leads us into all truth and all righteousness. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. We praise you, Jesus. May you have your way. You you have preeminence in this gathering. Uh, Glory to the risen Lord. Hallelujah. So again, I, uh, if for those of you that just joined, First uh, John chapter three, First John chapter three, beginning at verse nineteen. And what I hope to be speaking to you guys today about, um. What I hope to be speaking to you guys today about is a particular aspect of our drawing near to God. Um, The confidence that we can have in God in relation to prayer. Um, The reason why I want to speak to you guys about this today is because a lot of times what I have found as a very common thing within the body of Christ is that sometimes people come to the Lord and they pray, and they may even be asking the Lord a lot of things. However, there is a lack of confidence, and it's not necessarily in the lack of confidence um, in the Lord to be able to do something. 
There often isn't a lack of confidence in God's ability to act. Rather, there is a lack in the believer's confidence because of moral failures, uh, because the presence of sin, or because um, they think that they have to work or be perfect before they, they can be heard by the Lord. And the problem resides within the conscience is that there's a problem within the conscience of the believer and they they have a guilty conscience and because of that guilty conscience there isn't boldness and there isn't confidence in the place of prayer and so what I want to talk to you about today would hopefully provide truth and shed light in the area of the confidence that we can have in our conscience, in our heart, in approaching God. Because if we aren't confident and we have no boldness in approaching God, then as a consequence, we have a double mind. And so let us read. <clears throat> the Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 19, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in His presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and He knows everything. So let me just first begin by saying that John tells us, he lets us know in, the, uh, in verse 19 that there is a place in God that we can obtain wherein our hearts find rest in His presence. So this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in His presence. So it's something that you have to do. You have to set your heart at rest. Um, even David spoke to his own soul in the Psalms and he says, uh, uh, be at rest. Because the Lord has already provided us rest. He says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, take upon my yoke and ye shall find rest for your souls. So what does that suggest? That God is not interested in wearying you or exhausting you with this burden of performance. As if your works or your performance is what will give you rest. No, it's his work that enables you to obtain rest. Does that make sense? And he says, this is something we know. We don't speculate about this truth. We know this. And we set our hearts at rest in his presence. It says in Hebrews that we must therefore labor to enter into his rest. So the, the labor that we do contribute, that we do give ourselves to, is, is the rest it is the labor of entering into his rest. That's the labor we must offer to the Lord, is to labor to enter into his rest. And so he tells us, if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. And so he, he's informing us that despite the fact that our hearts are condemning us, God is greater than what our hearts are telling us. 
See, and he said, the Bible says he, and God knows everything. And so God knowing everything, it, it would seem as if that's actually a terrifying thing, right? Because God knows every single detail, even things that you are unable to probe in the depths of your heart. There are things that the Lord knows that even your conscience is unaware of. And you live with yourself every day. Sometimes people lack self-awareness. And that lack of self-awareness will not enable them to, to see even further into their hearts. But the Bible tells us that God knows everything. And yet, John is saying that we can nevertheless obtain a place wherein our hearts find rest. So, then obviously it isn't, it isn't us having to perfect ourselves so that we can get to a place of rest. Because if, if that was the case, then God having complete knowledge of everything about you should prevent you from ever coming to the hope that you can give yourself rest. Because if we continue to examine ourselves, examine ourselves, examine ourselves, that should lead to this endless treadmill. Knowing that God knows everything, we should despair of ever trying to clean ourselves up. And so therefore, John's instruction to us, rather, is not to place our hope in our own hearts, but rather in the God who knows our hearts. Because God is greater. God is greater than... Uh, God is, God's verdict of ourselves is greater than what our hearts is, is, are, are telling us. Our hearts are condemning us, but God knows everything, and yet despite Him knowing everything, He already tells us that there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right? Our hearts are telling us we are condemned, but God, in His Word, has told us that we aren't. Does that make sense? It says, uh, verse 21. Let me know if you all are with me. <clears throat> verse 21, it says, Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him and this is his command to believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and to love one another as he has commanded us so in other words he's telling us that if our hearts don't condemn us then we have boldness toward God and this is precisely the problem, is that the vast majority of believers do not have confidence before God. And so they may even give much of their time to the Lord in praying. But their prayers are going no further than the ceiling because they have no confidence. And see, having confidence and boldness before the Lord is crucial because confidence is faith. And does it not say in the book of James, um, it says that we are to believe those things which we ask and to not be double-minded for the double-minded man ought not to think he should receive anything from the Lord. 
So when you when you approach the Lord with boldness and you approach the Lord with confidence, it's not boldness or confidence in yourself, but confidence in God. Not boldness or confidence in your own heart, but confidence and boldness in the finished work of Christ. Amen. Are y'all with me? Amen. Are we following yes. along? I need I need to know. Uh... Amen. So, it's, it's not in our own hearts, because if we look inside ourselves, we are going to lose confidence. That's exactly what Peter did when he was um, exiting outside the boat. He got his eyes fixed uh, on himself, rather than remain uh, enable uh, rather than keeping his eyes on Christ insofar as he kept his eyes on Christ he was able to walk on on top of the water see it's not ourselves that we look to it's him it's his finished work it's his blood that was shed for the sins of many and it's on the strength of his efficacious blood and his powerful blood that we thereby have confidence in approaching God. You must understand that in in the Old Testament, you know, there were many regulations that the priests and, and the high priest had to go through in order to in order to secure himself before entering into the uh, most holy place. And in fact, uh, um they would tie a string, a rope around him just in case God's presence would strike him down dead. And they, they would drag him out so they wouldn't have to enter in. And so if we look to ourselves, and if we, we rely on works or we rely on, on the law to secure our place before God's holy presence, then it's no wonder why we, we feel condemned. But the new covenant promises us better things. It doesn't promise us death. It promises us life, indestructible life by His Spirit. It promises us hope. It promises us joy. It promises us access to God. Does that make sense? Amen, somebody? Amen. So, going back to the text here, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. See, I want us to go to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. Well, actually, verse nineteen, beginning at verse nineteen, Hebrews chapter ten, verse nineteen. <clears throat> it says, "Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place." by the blood of Jesus, 
by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And so we see right here, he tells us, having confidence to enter the most holy place. And as I mentioned previously, is that the high priest, there was a potential for the high priest to be struck down dead. And that's why they had a rope around his feet just in case he died. They they would pull him out because they were intimidated in going to the most holy place. Because not, not everybody had access to go there. And yet, here in the New Covenant, the Lord is telling us that we can have confidence to enter the most holy place where the presence is. See, when the presence comes, that is the most holy place. Does that make sense? When the presence comes, that is the most holy place. That is the holy of holies. And we can have confidence to come before the Lord, before the holy of holies, and ask the Lord what we will, what we wish. But what is the strength of our confidence? Where does it rest in? It says, it says, having confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Doesn't say now having confidence to enter the most holy place by your works or by your perfection or by ten Hail Marys, right? It says by the blood of Jesus. And so our confidence rests in in that, in the blood that was shed for your sins and mine. Amen. And it says, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. So his body was bruised for our iniquities. It was his body that was broken for us to be able to enter behind the veil. Because the veil, you got to remember, the veil was over Moses' face. Why? Because so lest they could see the glory. Moses put a veil over his face so the Israelites could not look steadfastly into that glory. Well, there is a glory behind the veil and the writer of Hebrews is telling us that veil has been torn in two because of the broken body of Jesus. So we're able to enter into the glory. And so it's a new and living way. It isn't it isn't based off the you know the sacrifice of bulls and goats that couldn't take away sin. It's not based upon these old regulations from the old covenant that God found fault with. 
And it says, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. And see, this is precisely why people uh, don't have confidence in approaching God is because they're not resting in, they're not um, trusting in the high priest who is Christ. And it says that we can have our conscience uh, purified. And so that, that's what people are always doing is they're going to the Lord without boldness, without confidence, is because they have a guilty conscience. And so that guilty conscience disables them from believing that they'll receive the things for which they ask. You know, um, it's like a... Jesus, the Bible records Jesus, it says, Jesus looking up to heaven says, Thank you, Father, for you have heard me. For you always hear me. It specifically says he looks up. That implies confidence. Whereas the tax collector in the temple says he could not look up to heaven, but smote his breast, saying, Have mercy upon me, O God, a sinner. Do you see the difference? One looks up to God not in arrogance, but in boldness. And the other looks down because of a guilty conscience. God doesn't want us to come to him with guilty conscience. What I mean by that is if you sinned, obviously you come to the Lord and ask for forgiveness. But he doesn't want us to have a lifestyle that lives in a guilty conscience, always disturbed, always having doubt, always... um, disabled from coming to him with the great assurance of faith because if there's anything that is a a parasite to your faith it's a guilty conscience it will sap you of your faith it will rob you of joy and therefore you don't have confidence to come to your father But the Lord wants us to have our conscience purified, cleansed from a guilty conscience. For what purpose? So that we might have confidence in approaching Him. And if our hearts are condemning us, God is greater than our hearts. The blood of Christ is greater than our hearts. The Spirit of the living God is greater than our hearts. Now, that doesn't mean that you're deliberately living in rebellion. You know, if you're deliberately living in rebellion, then you ought not to think that you have any confidence before the Lord. You need to get things right. Even the Bible says that, you know, there's certain things that can hinder our prayers. He says, you know, he says that if, um, you know, you... um, If you have aught with your brother, leave your gift at the altar and go be reconciled. Or David says, if I cherished iniquity in my heart, God would not have heard me. There's a difference between having imperfections and cherishing sin. There's a difference between wanting to get rid of sin and cherishing it. If you're cherishing sin, the Bible says that God won't hear you. 
Or if you turn your ear from hearing the law, the Bible says he turns his ears away from you. Or the Bible says that if if you're proud and you lack submission, that God will resist you. You know why? Have you noticed that there's there's two things that disqualify you from being heard from God? Is that if you're in rebellion to authority and leadership or having ought with your brother um, or you're cherishing sin in your heart and you're turning your ear away from the law. And here's the reason why is because when you are resistant to authority and leadership or you have ought with your brother, you're you're a, you're committing a sin that is self-defeating and self-destructive because you're a part of a body that you're now cutting circle you're cutting yourself off from a body and and cutting the flow of grace it's it's as if you're you know you tie a rope around you know a string around your your arm you're going to cut off the circulation of the blood and that's why the bible describes such sins as a sin against the body and so we have to be careful about that because, you know, it, it's like um, it's like a, a brother or sister in the Lord that just got through cussing you out and then like slandering you and calling you a bunch of, you know, names and then think that they can go to God. God's not hearing them. It just, I don't care what you think, God's not hearing you. In fact, the Bible says God is opposing you. You now become an opponent to God. It's you know what do opponents do? You're in a, you know it's like being in a wrestling match. You have an opponent. God is wrestling against you, and that's from the text. You just read First Peter, in chapter five, and you read the you're the ending of the book of James. It says submit to the elders, and it says that um, and submit yourselves under the mighty hand of God. It says, you know, resist the devil and do all that stuff. And he says, you know, submit. But he says, for God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So you can be imperfect. I'm not I'm not condoning, condoning sin. You can have imperfections, but nevertheless be humble and God will hear you. But it, you, you can think of yourself as a very polished individual who, you know, who's living uprightly. But if you're proud in it, the Bible says that God won't hear you. God resists you. Amen. So pr- pride is a dangerous thing. You know, pride pride is a very, very dangerous thing. You know, here, let me just give you a little uh, insight. So, you know, there's a lot of people, they 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 pride themselves in, well, I wouldn't say they pride themselves, but, you know, some of the, some of the most, uh, I would say, stubborn or, or proud individuals um will will smile in your face and they will act very kind to you uh, this is just what i've learned from experience and, you know it's always like the the believers that have a you know a huge smile and are kind to you and they can't they won't ever speak their mind to you or they will act like you know we're all you know um um how can i say this it's 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 the believers that want to equalize everybody. 
you know, like we're learning together, you know, you know, and, and like really what they're doing is they, they don't want rank or they don't want position and they want to equalize everybody in, and, and they love to be kind to, and, until you start refuting them. Once you refute them and say that's wrong, then it, they're kind of like the, you know, those little chihuahuas that show you their teeth, they get angry with you. They might look so cute and everything, like you just want to pet them. But they'll show you their teeth and they'll get really ugly with you. And I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying that to be insulting. I'm just saying that from experience. Because, you, you know, sometimes that stuff can be very manipulative. And that stuff seems really likable. But, you know, and, and it's often the people that don't seem, um, you know, the, how can I say it? The most tolerable, the people that that are sometimes intolerable to like a lot like like um, a lot of people are intolerant towards. It tends to be that them who are actually very um, insistent on obeying God and submitting to Him at all costs, and that is exactly what makes them intolerable because nobody wants to be around a person that always wants to obey God. Because that ends up conflicting with their desires and what they want. How many of you can say amen? Once you start obeying God, people start getting upset with you. Amen. Because they don't want, they, they want to manipulate you. They want to, you know, get in, you know, speak into you so they can, you know, have you do what they want to appease them. And, um, you know, that's obviously uh, wrong. Um, but my, my point, though, that I'm trying to make is that sometimes, you know, people, they, they want to, um, they want to avoid authority. They want to avoid it all, at all costs. And don't believe that doctrine. Because you'll, you'll plummet to destruction. You know, I, I, was, I was riding, uh, we were driving the car just the other day, uh, yesterday, and I, <laughs> I, I, there was this person that was in, in the wrong lane. And there was oncom, uh, oncoming traffic. And that confused the person on the other side of the intersection and it caused them to go left in a one-way street. And it was just utter confusion. And I told my wife, look, that's the fruit of disorder. It leads to chaos and confusion. And that's exactly what happens in the church when, when there is disorder. They don't, they don't want to obey the, the authority or they, they don't want to submit to what God's intended design, it causes chaos and confusion. And you might think you get away with stuff, but you just keep living that life. And I guarantee you, you're gonna you're gonna run red light, and you're gonna hit a, head on towards destruction. And so, you know, there are safeguards there for a reason. It's for our protection. You know. But anyways, going back to Hebrews chapter ten. Um, 
It says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with the full assurance of faith, that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. And having our bodies washed with pure water. And so, the Lord gave His Son to put away sin. It says that this is the reason that the Son of God was manifested that he might take away sins. Right? To put away the works of the devil. To, to put an end to sin. To justify us before God. To enable us to have access to the Lord. Before the Father. And so the Lord has already put a sentence See, here's the thing you must understand, is that when you when Jesus died, you died with him. So the sentence of death has already been served. And when he rose again, you rose along with him. So you are now partaking of an indestructible life by the Holy Spirit. So when you come to the Lord and condemnation sets in your heart, you must understand that the death sentence has been served. You died with Christ when He died. Because since you believe in Him, you abide in Him. So what has taken place over 2,000 years ago on, on the cross, you were joined along with Him. That death sentence has been served. Does that make sense? And so now as a result, you are risen along with Him and you are living by His Spirit. You, you have access to the Father by one Spirit. And so our hearts ought not to condemn us. There's a difference between conviction you, and, and condemnation. Condemnation, see the angel of death has passed over us because the blood was applied to the doorposts of our hearts. Just like in the book of Exodus, the blood was applied to the doorposts and the angel of death passed over them. Do you think that all of them were perfect? No. They just simply had faith in the message and they applied what uh, was spoken. They believed it and said, you know, I'm applied blood on the doorpost uh, and, and the angel of death passed away. There was no condemnation. No wrath had met them at their homes. And so the blood of Jesus Christ is applied to the doorpost of our hearts and the angel of death passes over. Yeah. Why? Be because, because we are perfect? No, because we have a high priest who has entered behind the veil on our behalf. He has entered in. Amen. And I stand on the strength of his intercession. The Bible says he ever lives to make intercession for the saints. He stands as an advocate. The Bible says that, he says, Dear brethren, I write to you that you may not sin, but if any among you do sin, he says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who was a propitiation for the sins of the world, and not only for the world, but for us. And so he stands as a great high priest, not unable to be touched with the feelings of your infirmities, tempted in all points like we, yet without sin. 
And so, if you look at Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25, Ezekiel chapter 36, Verse 25, it says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees, to be careful to keep my laws. And so, just as we've read there in Hebrews 10, talking about being uh, purified with, uh, washed with pure water, he's telling us in Ezekiel that, that this water will cleanse us from all our impurities, and it says he will put in us a new heart, or in other words, a new conscience, so that we won't have to live with a defiled conscience. Amen. You know, because uh, that will be your weakness. See, this is a a promise of the Old Covenant that we can lay claim to. We we can lay claim to this and we can believe that there's a place in God to where we don't have to live with a defiled conscience. We can have a pure conscience by the blood of Christ, by the washing of pure water. Because it's precisely that. It's a pure conscience, a clean conscience that enables you to approach the Lord with great boldness. Amen. You're not always living with a conflicted mind or a conflicted heart. If you look in uh, James chapter 4 verse 8. How the Bible says in Hebrews 10 that uh, that we can come near to God with confidence, with the full assurance of faith. Well, this is what he tells us here in verse 8. It says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. And so, before we can come to God, right? if we come to him, he will come near to us. But before we do that, we must have our double mind cleansed. Does that make sense? You got to wash your hands and purify your hearts. You double minded. Just what it says there in Hebrews, having our hearts sprinkled with pure water. Have your hearts washed. And that's what the priests would do before coming before the Lord. They would wash themselves. So when we come near to God, we we have to be washed with the blood of Christ. 
with the blood of Jesus. Right? And if if that if it if that has taken place, then we can be assured that we can come to the Lord with a single mind. And and what does it say in Ezekiel 36 that I will put my law in your hearts? That is what enables you to have a single mind. Is that the law of God is in your heart. You're not cherishing iniquity in your hearts. That the law of the Lord, His word, in, is in your mind and is in your heart and is dictating your petitions. Is dictating the, the requests that you bring to the Lord. And so this is why if you read in James chapter 1 verse 5, because notice that double-mindedness is closely linked with an absence of a purified conscience, according to James chapter 4, verse 8. That a double mind and a, a, a defiled conscience go hand in hand. And that defiled conscience is what is disabling you from believing God. You think that you believe God can, but because of your your conscience is, is stricken with guilt, you don't believe He will. Because your heart is condemning you, therefore you don't have boldness before Him. Does that make sense? And that's why it says in 1 John chapter 1, uh, verse 6, But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Why would you doubt? Because you have a double mind. Why would you have a double mind? Because your mind is not purified. Your conscience is still guilty. It's still speaking against you. Saying you're condemned. You're condemned. Even though you may not be condemned because you condemnation was already dealt with in Christ, but in your heart, in your experience, that is what your heart is telling you. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. See, does that make sense? That's why when you come to God, you're like, oh, I don't know, you know, have I done enough? And have I labored enough? Have I shed enough tears? See, your, your trust is misplaced. Amen, somebody? Y'all following? Amen. <clears throat> if you go to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 19. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 19. It says, For the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And so we can draw near to God. We can draw near to the Lord. Doesn't it say in James chapter 4, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. And it's by a new and living way, a better way, not by the blood of bulls and goats that could not take away sin. But Jesus Christ, having died once and for all, has put away, put an end to sin. If you read Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, it states this. It says, For by one sacrifice 
has he made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So his sacrifice has perfected you once and for all. So it, it says it's perfected those who are being made holy. So holiness is a progressive thing. But that sacrifice once and for all made you to, it has given you right standing with God. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And so now, let us, let us go to 1 John chapter 5. First John chapter 5, verse 13. First John chapter 5, verse 15, uh, 13 through 15. <clears throat> and so, mind you, this is all in relationship to prayer. Because, you know, it's not going to do you very good if, if we're, we're talking about, or even if we come on Wednesdays and we're, we're dispensing a lot of energy, but our conscience is always conflicted. Because that, con that conflicted conscience, that guilty conscience is going to leave you double-minded. And you're giving a lot of energy to praying, but there is no answer to your request because of that double-mindedness. And the Bible tells us very clearly, it says we ought not to think that we should receive anything from the Lord if that's the case. That's not what I've said. That's what the Bible is saying. You know, you, you can get upset at me if you'd like, but my, my hope in explaining this is so that you will get results, not so that, you know, your life will become miserable or more difficult if you get over this hurdle your life will become better yeah. it says um, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know you have lot, you that you have eternal life this is the confidence notice that same term confidence in what we have an approaching God. So we can have confidence in approaching God. Come near to God and come near to you. But in our approaching of God, what did the Bible tell us? That we must do, just like the priests, they had to wash themselves with pure water. They had to do that physically. We have to do that today spiritually. We have to wash our hearts with pure water and by the blood of Christ entering into the holy place. And if we do that, we can have confidence in our hearts. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know He hears us, whatever we ask, we know we have what we have asked of Him. And so God wants you to have boldness in coming to Him. He wants you to have confidence in drawing near to Him. Amen. He wants you to have joy. See, here's the thing. The Bible tells us in His presence is fullness of joy. 
then tell me why when when you try to pray or whatever you you are you always feel defeated you always feel like man i'm guilty i don't deserve this and it's it's so introspective and it's just a it's a burden to you not a burden lifter and so my, my encouragement to us this day is that we would believe the word and we would apply the word so that we can live with freedom and that our approaching God is a joy Amen. it's not a drudgery it's not something you have to find difficulty to do This is the confidence we have in approaching God. And remember in Ezekiel 36, he says, I will put my, I'll put a new spirit in you to cause you to walk in my ways. And so the spirit he has put in us is the self-same spirit that begins to yearn for the will of God. Begins to ache and yearn for, the ho- for, for God's holy ways. So now, as we come to him, by the strength of that spirit, by relationship in that spirit, our hearts then begin to ask what his will is. We begin to petition for the, the uh, accomplishing of his will in our lives. We're not treating God like a genie. Amen. And that, that's, that's precisely what it means to pray in Jesus' name. Because if you're praying something that is not in accord with his will, your, your prayers lose strength. It, it, it's, it's pointless. But if you pray on the strength of his will, that is, and we pray in his name, that's what it means to pray in his authority. There's authority to your praying. You know, it's, it's like... You know, you, you're you're praying that you win the uh, the lottery is 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 as um, effective as crossing your fingers and getting four leaf, uh, three leaf clovers and stuff like that, right? You're just wishing on, upon a star at that point because you know God isn't going to bless the things that aren't His will, and it's not His will for us to gamble. It's not his will for us to, you know, ask for things that are unbiblical. Right? But if you look in um if you look at this one more time, he tells us that number one, we can have confidence in coming to God. Right, we're not we're not going to Mount Sinai, where it says that the people they didn't even want to come near that mountain because of the terror that was associated with coming to that mountain. Right, he says you have not come to Mount Sinai, but you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God. With he says with joyful assembly, so we come to Him, we come to His presence in joyful assembly, not with terror. 
it, it gives no pleasure to God that you would live in constant terror or live in constant defeat. That is not reflective of the, of the God whom we serve. Amen. God knows no defeat. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and of a sound mind. Now, obviously, if you're outside of Christ, you have every reason to fear. If you're outside of Jesus Christ, there's no there's no hope. If you don't if you don't abide in Him, there's no hope. Because those who are outside of Jesus will bear the wrath of the Almighty. That's that's a that's a terrifying thing. It says, "Who shall abide that day? Who shall stand? None can stand." And so, but you see the contrast. It says that, that the sinners cannot stand before the Lord. They cannot stand in judgment. That's what it says in Psalm one. But then, why is it that we can stand with confidence in the in coming to the Lord? Because we come by way of the death of his son. Hallelujah. <clears throat> if you read in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 16. It says, And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility, he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we, we, for through him we have both access to the Father by one Spirit. And so it is precisely through the death of Jesus that God brought peace. And we are thereby given access to God because there is no more hostility between him and us. In other words, we are no longer at enmity with God. We are not making ourselves a friend of the world. This is for friendship with the world is enmity with God. We're no longer of the world. You know, in fact, uh, not, that's why some of you need to stop living like the world. You need to put away the, the, the thinking patterns of the world. What they do, what they laugh at, what they watch, what they enjoy, what they invest. The, just as they invest, just as they they live. I, I know I know the Holy Spirit is speaking to some of you. He's really impressing this on my heart right now. He's telling you to to that you're not of the world, you need to stop living like it. It's it's a miserable thing to be too Christ-like, to not fit in the world, but too worldly to not fully surrender to God. You're in this constant tug of war. 
you're not godly enough to buy, to be identified as a Christian, but you're not worldly enough to be a good sinner. And you, you have an identity crisis. The Lord wants to purge you of every wicked way. See, see, the Lord will bless those who are careful to surrender to Him. Surrender to Him. Everything. You have to offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable act of worship. You know, I heard this staggering statement just yesterday and he says God profits nothing from your salvation God had given himself as a sacrifice your salvation is no profit to God your sacrifice is a profit to him his sacrifice for you is no profit to him your sacrifice to him is a profit for him Amen See, we cannot merely want the benefits of salvation and to not res- and not respond to Him with our whole heart, with our lives, with our bodies, with our time. Because I'll tell you what, the, the devil, your body's going to be offered up to somebody. And it's either the devil or it's God. I don't know about you, but I don't want to yield my members to the devil. Amen. And so there's no middle ground. There is no neutral there is no neutrality. We either will surrender wholeheartedly to God and give Him what is rightfully His, or we will rob God by giving to the devil what Jesus has purchased. See, at least before Jesus purchased you, it wasn't robbery because you weren't His. You're his now. You don't belong to yourself. You've been purchased. You've been bought with the price. And so that's why as a Christian, it is doubly a sin to say no to God because you're saying no and have no right. You're his. He's put his spirit in you. He's washed you with his blood. We don't have an option. Do you see? We are slaves of Jesus Christ. Bond servants of the Most High. Amen. You know, here's, the, here's one of the most frustrating things. Let me tell you, is believers who 
complain that nothing is working. And I'm not saying hardships. We go through, we'll all go through hardships. I mean perpetual failure. And they'll rationalize it and say, this is the sovereignty of God. This is God's good pleasure. No, it's not. It is failure. And God doesn't want perpetual failure in the life of a believer. And the reason that is there is because we are not saying yes to God in the areas he is telling us to say yes to. Amen. Our lives should be met with with wholeness, with blessing, with prosperity. As a whole, as an individual. And don't get me wrong that you know there's time, you know for some people, you know especially if you're deep in the world, it might take a while for you to get out of some pits. You know? But nonetheless, you're moving from one degree of glory to the next. Moving from glory to glory, from faith to faith. See, backsliding doesn't mean necessarily that you've already gone out to the world. Backsliding begins with just declining a little bit. You're already backsliding. If you're not moving forward, you're sliding back. And see, the devil has thrown so many things in your heart to cause offense, to create stagnation, to create uh, a flesh, to create um, standstills, that create hurdles, and, and you can't move on, you can't go forward. But the Lord is beckoning you to come. Oh man, I feel the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit is telling you to come. Some of you need to give up some things. Some of you are holding on to a lot of stuff. And the Holy Ghost is saying to you today, you need to give it up. It is to the detriment of your destiny that you would insist otherwise. Amen. Don't harden your hearts. I, I can't, I, I, you wouldn't believe me, you know, when I say that, you know, a believer can post things about God. But their lives are, are, are a contradiction to the things that they say they value. And they will even say, you know, LGBT is wicked or they'll, they'll rant about the evil of the world and rightfully so. But when they check their engine and their inventory, there is a great deficit and a great lack. And God doesn't want us there, man. It says judgment shall begin at the house of God. We need we need to check ourselves. That doesn't mean, you know, don't take a stance on certain issues or don't ever speak up. But my point, though, is this. Christians can busy themselves 
and even appease their own conscience to make themselves feel better by saying by speaking out against certain things when the entire time they're busy in their conscience to prevent themselves from recognizing some of the things the Holy Ghost is addressing. They will try to make up in another area to uh to for the to compensate for these other areas that they're lacking in. Does that make sense? They they don't they for example, they may not want to give up a girlfriend. And so they'll say, "Oh, you know what? What I'll do? I'll tell 10 people about Jesus." Obedience is better than sacrifice. Amen. Well, I, I don't want to give up drinking. So what I'll do is um, I'll give uh, to my pastor. No, the Lord wants you to be obedient. You can't compensate for obedience by sacrifice more in another area you feel comfortable You know, there was just recently someone I know in a different town, and uh, man, they were at church all the time. They're they're you know great at serving. You know, if there was food, you know, they needed to serve at the you know uh, people plates and stuff like that. If they had a little outing at the church, they'll be there. Meanwhile, they're smoking dope, smoking meth inside the church, but was a great servant in the church. Figure that. See, you can you can look really good on in certain areas of your life when the Holy Spirit is addressing things. And you'll busy your conscience so you don't have to give attention to that. It's a hard thing to be a spiritual person. It's easy to be religious. It is hard to be a spiritual man and a spiritual woman. It is easy to be religious. I can't tell you how many people, they, they talk a good game. They'll even, you know, quote the Greek. And look at my, you know, my linguistic gymnastics. And I'll quote the Hebrew. Oh, I got the Strong's Concordance. Oh, I listened to Paul Washer. None of that. It, who cares? Are you living spiritually? Are you walking in step with the Spirit? Man, I can't... It's it's actually really annoying. Because I'll, I'll hear it, Christians talk a good game, man. And they'll, they'll, they'll wow people with their knowledge. And you just ask them a simple question. Well, how's your heart? Uh, 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 and they'll stumble there's there because the, the, it's like a facade it's just a smoke screen to distract people from really what's going on you know i remember there was some dude who was you know like a maintenance man some time back and he was talking to me about the blood moons and you know the government and consp- he knew everything about that stuff but it's like bro well you know it but they're sloppy in the area of being obedient to God. 
It's like, so, so what if you know all those things? It doesn't matter. It's like Leonard Ravenhill says, we've become walking libraries. He says, God, he, he said, you know, God hasn't called you to be a walking library, but to be a God-filled personality. Do you relish Christ? Amen. Do you relish Him? Do you want to obey Him? Do you want to live for Him? <clears throat> See, when you said yes to Jesus, you signed over your rights. Just recently, I was ministering to a gang member. And, um, the Holy Spirit gave me a word of knowledge that he was a, a Norteño. They're a Mexican gang that bangs red. And I told him, I said, you have to renounce that. But you see, here, here's, you got to understand, he, he's real deep in this stuff. It may cost him his life. And he was telling me, he says, look, man, he says, how do I know that if I, if I do that, like I won't get killed. He says, how do I know? Because I told him, you have to give up the guns. And, and not only that, it has to come from your mouth that you're no longer a northerner. And that is a huge pride killer. Some people are willing to die before they're willing to say that they're no longer a gang member. It's a pride killer. And I say, you know what? I can't give you any promises. You might die. But what happens if you do die for that gang and you die and go to hell? See, there's some things that the Lord wants you to die to. And your pride is saying no. You've signed over your rights. You don't got an option anymore. But let me tell you this. That in our surrender, that we find freedom in the Spirit. Amen. People, there are believers that are addicted to pornography. And that will enslave and dig you further and further into the mire. And it's by dying in that area that you obtain true freedom. Some people idolize marriage. They won't fully serve God because they're not married or, you know, whatever. They're placing all their chips in, in having this ideal marriage. But God is saying, are you willing to give up an Isaac? Are you willing to give that up? And so, um, like Elijah said, he says, choose you this day whom you shall serve. If God be God, serve him. If Baal be God, then serve him. But the God who answers by fire, let him be God. Amen. 
true sacrifice must be met with fire. Consumes it. And guess what? When it's consumed, there's no going back. You can't get it back. It's God's. Y'all with me? Amen. It's a heavy thing. It's a heavy thing. And the journey is long. Throw off every weight that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. For some of you, it's not even an issue of sin. You have to give up certain weights. Because the journey is long and it's causing, it's a hindrance to you. And a man who isn't intimate with the Spirit will try to justify it. Say, so where does it say that at in the Bible? Seeing how, how much we can come close to the world and still play footsies with it. Still play patty cake with the world. When the Holy Spirit is, is in fact telling you to go to a deeper level of consecration. A deeper level of consecration. But here's the thing. Can you say yes? Can you say yes? But he will meet you with intimacy. Because there are many people that gain all that they desire in the flesh. And their lives are still empty. Amen. They are still lacking fulfillment. So, <clears throat> Jesus gave everything for us, and we ought to, in love, give everything back to Him. Everything. He, he is our life. Paul says in him we live, move, and have our being. David says apart from him I have no good thing. Peter says you have the words of eternal life. To whom shall we go? There's nowhere else to go. I remember remember times I prayed, Lord, may I never backslide because I know if I did, I'd be a miserable man. Miserable. I have seen too much. I've heard too much. To be able to go back to the futility of this world. There would be no way. But I I told the Lord, I said, Lord, just take my life before anything like that were to ever happen. I don't want to go back. 
I don't want to go back. I've already made up my mind that it's th from this, from 11 years ago, from that point forward, it was it was only forward in Christ. <clears throat> so uh, let, let us close in prayer. Father, I just pray God right now in Jesus' name. Lord, I ask, Father, that you would strengthen your saints to receive. Father, that they would not backslide. Father, I pray that they would give their all, that they would give their bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto you, which is a reasonable act of worship. Father, I pray that they would not try to rationalize or justify the things that you are beckoning them to give up. Father, may they all obtain a guiltless conscience by the blood of Jesus Christ. May they obtain freedom by your Spirit. May they obtain true joy by your Spirit. May they know what it is, O Lord, to live with a clear conscience. Father, I pray that they would move forward in your Spirit, O Lord. They would move forward in the gospel. Oh God, I ask of you, O oh Lord. May we fully surrender. May we give our all. May we give our all, O oh Lord. Holy Spirit, I pray, God, deliver your people from all temptation. May they live in the light of your word. Holy Spirit, just I ask that you would begin to deal with your people in their hearts. They would not harden their hearts. Yes, God. Lord, remind them of all that you've done for them. And that the worship that you're asking of them is a reasonable worship. It's not unreasonable. Yes, God. You spilt your life's blood for our sin. You want our life in, in return. May we not dodge this word or this conviction, O oh Lord. May we not dodge it, God. May we deal with it and give us grace to overcome the world. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.